Coming up on Stu Does America, it would appear that the glorious, long-awaited Soviet revolution, led by one Bernard Sandersvich, has come to a screeching halt. We celebrate and scientifically analyze his failure. Andrew Wilkow joins us to discuss what Bernie's political demise means for the rest of the election. And the Dow drops another 1,500 points, and we are officially a country that has entered into a bear market because we don't wash our hands enough or something. If you don't like this show, well, screw you. But if you like this show, please take that tiny extra step and click subscribe. If you like the show and you're a good person, rate and review on Apple Podcasts and click the notification bell on YouTube. If you like Andrew Wilkow and our other Blaze TV hosts, uh, well, you can get all of us on Blaze TV by subscribing at blazetv.com slash stew. Use the promo code stew and save 10 bucks. And if you don't like being bothered by your friends constantly inviting you to events when you just want to stay home, then you need the hottest t-shirt on the internet that simply gives the blanket explanation, sorry, can't make it, self-quarantined. Get one today at stewdoesmerch.com and successfully evade all human contact for years to come. Stew Does America. Such a sad day. Why did Bernie fail? Two weeks ago, he was Thanos. He was inevitable. Today, he's incredibly evitable. His path to the nomination now depends entirely on Joe Biden either leaving the race or doing something so incredibly dumb that, I mean, okay, Bernie does have a shot because we can totally picture Joe doing something that dumb, but he's down by enough that the normal Biden level stupidity is not going to be enough. So why did he fail? Other than the fact that socialism always fails eventually. I ran experiments in my scientific lab coat all night long following Bernie's destruction in Michigan last night. In the morning, I was able to get peer review of a detailed study to explain exactly what caused Bernard to bomb and assign responsibility to the tenth of a percent. Why did I go through this trouble? Because I love you. So the first reason Bernie is a failure is that some Democrats don't actually like socialism. It's responsible for about 1.3 percent of his collapse. In 1992, the Ministry of Forestry found a skull in central Vietnam. It had long, straight, pointy horns, and they had no frickin' idea what it was. Turns out it was a sola. The first new mammal discovered by science in half a century. It is so rare, it is known as the Asian unicorn. Scientists have only seen it in the wild four times. I will say, I look around a lot, and I've never seen one. That's kind of how I feel about Democrats that aren't socialists. I'm told they exist. There's some scientific polling that says they exist, but man, I look around a lot and I've never seen one. Apparently, they're found somewhere in the wild, but definitely not on Twitter. Reason number two for Bernie's utter failure. Democrats don't think other people like socialism. Now, this is much different than Democrats not liking socialism themselves. They love it. But they pragmatically realize that the hundred million dead thing doesn't have the best look from a marketing perspective. They'd rather win with a very liberal Democrat to achieve some progress towards socialism than lose nominating an actual socialist. In other words, it's not that they don't want the hammer and sickle attached between each star and the flag. It's just that they don't think it will play so well with voters in Ohio. Reason number three, Bernie crashed and burned in historic fashion. Millionaires and billionaires. I'm not really sure why. Honestly, I mean, two billionaires were actually running in this primary. 
and they spent close to a billion dollars combined trying to steal votes from Joe Biden. They actually helped Bernie, but I'm pretty sure we're supposed to blame billionaires for everything. And one quick note, since Bernie is now a millionaire himself, we need to update our official mission statement to focus the violent threats towards only billionaires. Important change in policy, everyone. Reason number four, Bernie was a spectacular failure. The Bernie bros didn't show up. We were told Sanders had an army that was going to remake electoral politics forever. Instead, the revolution might have been televised, or at least the television was on, so they couldn't quite make the revolution. In 2016 in Mississippi, voters 18 to 44 made up 40% of the vote, but yesterday it was only 32%. In Missouri, younger voters made up 41% of the vote in 2016, but only 32% yesterday. In Michigan, young voters dropped from 45% in 2016 to just 38% on Tuesday. The entire narrative was a lie. The energy wasn't real. The movement isn't real. The wokeism isn't real. It's all fake, or at the very least, massively overblown. We've said it before, you you can't build a revolution on a group of people who think TikTok is a job. More than that, it's a big fat reminder to us, Twitter isn't real life. The more Bernie loses, the more trending hashtag he picks up. Uh, Hashtag Bernie Surge. Hashtag Dem Exit, hashtag Write In Bernie, hashtag Bernie Ate My Ferret, just to name a few. The last one was based on a really dark late night campaign rally. You do not want to see the video. Point is, if you took Twitter seriously, you'd think Bernie Sanders could win easily, and you'd think wrong. Everybody is a revolutionary on the internet. Reason number five for Bernard Sanders' cataclysmic self destruction black voters hate bernie sanders i mean they hate him they hated him so much they embraced hillary clinton in 2016. so bernie went to work he collected high profile black surrogates he gave love to african-american charities he dressed up for halloween as lizzo that last one was a little too offensive to actually show you did it all work no it did not In Mississippi in 2016, he only won 11% of the black vote. That sucks. But yesterday, somehow he did worse, only 10%. In Missouri, he took 32% in 2016 and promptly dropped a quarter of his support down to 24% yesterday. It's really hard to see how Bernie doesn't connect with black culture. I don't understand. I'm I'm completely baffled by it. who, Who saw it coming? His Hail Mary was to grab the endorsement of love child uh, producing, quote unquote, Reverend Jesse Jackson. But I'm not sure how relevant Jesse Jackson is uh, these days, as shown in this tweet. I don't even know who Jesse Jackson is, and I already like her 500 times more than Kamala Harris. (laughs) Oh, I love that. See, the Internet is worth something. Truth is, the African-American vote handed this nomination to Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., For all of his flaws as a candidate, Biden was the only one smart enough to stick by Barack Obama throughout the campaign. While everyone else was on stage bashing the guy, Joe had his back and black voters rewarded him for that. Though, since this is the Democratic primary, I probably should apply Democratic Party logic. So I guess black voters are just all anti-Semitic. It's not that they, they had a bunch of good reasons to not like Bernie. It's just that they didn't want a Jewish president. Mm. So sad. Reason number, what are we on? Six? Six that uh, Bernie blew himself up like a entry-level ISIS recruit. The party decides. 
making up about 9.4% of the reason for his failure, the party coalesced around Joe Biden at a very inopportune time for Bernie. Candidates dropped out, key endorsements were made, they made sure to plug Joe Biden in before rallies so he was fully charged. All this stuff was done and the party made this all happen. Republicans are terrible at such things. They don't work together at all. And even though it is frustrating sometimes, I have to say, I don't mind that. Of course, Democrats are better at this. They should be. They're collectivists and they move in a herd. But the reason why the party decided against Bernie was not policy or even electability. It was that they didn't want to reward a traitor. Bernie talked trash about the establishment. He didn't play ball with them. And he left the party in between every single presidential run to be an independent the message from the party was simple. We own you. Don't cross us. Reason number seven for Bernie's mega fail. Voters wanted to generally punish John Cusack. And I know this is a little strange. Who would have thought this is almost 12% of the reason he was going to lose this race? But it's true. I mean, it's science. Look at the stupid hat he had on when he announced his endorsement. We've never, ever had a movement candidate with a true champion of social justice this close to the White House. Mm, I mean, I can hear the desperation in his voice. These guys wanted this so bad. If you're listening to the audio podcast, I'll just say John not looking his best these days. Still, I was initially surprised that America was so interested in hurting John Cusack's feelings. But then I remembered the movie 2012. looks pretty realistic, guys. Oh, no. Thank you for an episode of that podcast about 2012. I have to look that up. Someone who wears that hat and was in that movie deserves to be punished, even if it hurts the nation. We can't give the man joy. It's not right to do. And Democrats uh, figured that out. And the final reason for Bernie's failure, making up almost 58% of the total reason he biblically face-planted, Democrats hate Hillary Clinton, too. Bipartisanship is real. We can finally come together on something. They find her as annoying as we do. In 2016, Bernie was far more competitive than he should have been. He got millions and millions of votes, and the grand punditry thought he must be connecting with voters in a way they didn't understand. But no, those votes weren't pro-Bernie votes. They were anti-Hillary votes. Instead of recognizing that, they became a socialist party to try to match the supposed energy of the left. They overcorrected in a big way towards Bernie. They went so far left that Joe Biden looked moderate when in reality, he just looks into the distance with a glassy-eyed emptiness. Democrats don't see a bumbling, senile 90-year-old in Joe Biden. They just see someone who isn't Hillary Clinton. And that's the biggest reason Bernie Sanders failed. Either that or they just hate all women. Sexist bastards. Very excited to welcome Andrew Wilkow. He's a member, of course, of our own Blaze family, hosting the self-titled Wilkow here, as well as the Wilkow Majority on Sirius XM. And we're going to try something new tonight. If, you've, uh, if you think you're dedicated to food, I'd like to share with you Andrew Wilkow's very first tweet from 2010. No hyperlinking, no details, just a link kind of to a barbecue place. Andrew, what can you tell us about this debut on Twitter? 
God, I, I don't even remember. Um, <laughs> the, what, what is the what is the barbecue place? It just says I Brother Jimmy's. Don't remember. Oh, brother. Okay, brother Jimmy's is what what we in New York think is barbecue. <laughs> I mean, it's like a it's like a chain, and there's a few of them throughout the city, and they they have uh, tall boy Pabst Blue Ribbon cans of beer. But yeah, it's 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 our attempt in New York City at at barbecue. You're in Texas, you'd probably. Not approve. Well, still, I just like the idea that you just tweeted the name of a restaurant with no context as your first tweet. Well, this is no, your record. We were, I think we were doing a, I think we were doing a tea party event there. Oh, really? I, I think we were doing some, we did do a tea party event at one of, one of the locations in the city. Mm. Now, I, I, I would also like to point out, hovering behind you is a very uh, terrifying figure. There seems to be a Nancy Pelosi behind your head, and that's a. Uh, yes, yeah, she's staring ominously from the shadows. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually the Nancy Pelosi that I stole from uh, Turning Point USA, uh, their party. And I'll tell you, I brought it. First of all, I brought it out of the party and tried to bring it into the Trump Hotel, which they did not. They did not allow that. Um, but uh, eventually I got it back to the hotel uh, late at night, woke up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and came back uh, to the bed and jumped like I, I thought there was a woman in my room. And uh, if you know anything about me, women don't go and to my hotel Nancy rooms. Pelosi. Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> all right. So. Uh, Let's uh, talk about the election, because I'm kind of fascinated about how this is playing out. First of all, uh, this is it for Bernie, right? He's done. Are you on on that train? No, Uh, I'll I'll tell you why. I watched the I watched the press conference. I'm here in the district of coronavirus and uh, Sirius XM has uh, studios here. And it was happening just as we were uh, coming back from, I think, the second hour break. And I was watching it in, in the studio. I said, we got to bring this up, bring up the feed. And I thought, oh, my God, he's, this is it. He's dropping out. But clearly, he says he's at least sticking around for the, the debate on Sunday. He kind of let us know that he's going to give Joe Biden a, a finger-wagging lecture. And, and here's, here's what I'm getting from this. When it came to Hillary Clinton, he had that nobody cares about your damn emails line. I think he's so woke and progressive that he couldn't really campaign against a woman, right? Mm. Elizabeth Warren accused him of saying that a woman couldn't win. So if he denied it, he's calling her a liar, doesn't believe her truth. If he did say it, then he's a sexist. But still, he didn't really push back. With Joe Biden, he can go wherever he wants. So I I, I don't know. Maybe he's going to take this Sunday night debate and use it to give Biden a lecture before he bows out. Or maybe he thinks this is not 2016 anymore. I played nice the first time with Hillary Clinton. I know they stole the election from me and I'm going to, I, I, this is the last, this is it for, for, for Bernie. He's 78 years old. This, he might take this all the way to convention. I I don't know what he's thinking. It's interesting because I think there's no real downside in, in a, in a Hail Mary here at this debate. Plus, you know, Joe Biden isn't exactly a stable figure, right now. So at any point he could just bail out and, and you're right there. So I can understand why you'd want to stay in. His path is tough though. I mean, next, the next set of states are really ugly for Bernie Sanders. States like Florida, where he's down, you know, looking like 40 and 50 points in some of these polls. It, it could get out of control fast, but you think he might just stay in and grind it out and see what happens? Well, Maybe he's just trying to stick in long enough to deny Biden the obvious majority in hopes that maybe something happens in the first round of balloting. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I mean, he clearly 
He clearly is intent on being the big pain in the butt here. I mean, he's not even really a Democrat. Yeah. So uh, he, he has this socialist, democratic socialist vision for the party. Maybe he thinks that Biden is decidedly not progressive enough, although Biden has pretty much been running around adopting just about every facet of, you know, no deportations, maintaining DACA, Green New Deal, um, you know, some level of Medicare for all the other. He says he doesn't want to, to make private health insurance illegal. That that might change. Ber- Bernie is I, I don't think he's playing this time. I, I think he has decided this is this is it. This is his swan song. And he's not going to he's not going to play nice like he did with Hillary. Mm. That's, it's scary. It's scary. Or, wait, or, or maybe he just wants to maybe he just wants. Sorry to sort of think this up as we're going. No, no, sorry. Maybe he just wants to to get under Biden's skin mm-hmm. and really show that Biden is kind of crazy. Right. I mean, you saw what we all saw. The AR-14 comment with the with the auto worker. We we all heard the dog-faced pony soldier comment. We all heard the go vote for somebody else. So maybe Bernie's strategy is I'm going to call him out on these progressive positions and make him say something crazy. Yeah, I, and it's not a terrible strategy. He does not seem to be in control of his temper. He does not seem to be in, in control of his emotions when when he's challenged. And you see it a little bit. I mean, you, you talked about the guns and and and, and these these interactions that have happened over the past. Last couple of weeks, he does not seem to be able to control himself against voters. And it's much worse when people bring up his family. If someone brings up Hunter Biden, I mean, when Trump gets on a debate stage with this guy and brings up Hunter Biden, he's going to lose his mind. He does not seem to be able to control himself at all. Yeah, I mean, he he's going to uh, Trump. Well, I mean, we know exactly what Donald Trump's going to do. Donald Trump is going to be pushing his buttons Mm -hmm. left and right. I mean, it's going to be China and Hunter Biden. It's going to be Ukraine and Hunter Biden. He might even remind him that Kamala Harris accused him of not wanting interracial busing. I mean, Joe Biden has been around since 1973. He has said and done a lot of crazy things. His gaffes are legendary. You know, Trump also could call him out on policy issues. You know, Biden went around bragging about the crime bill. A a lot of black voters that are now voting for Biden used to think that crime bill was pretty terrible. Also, the war in Iraq. There's there's a whole bunch on on Biden that Donald Trump can needle him on. And really, other than than trying to play to the woke crowd, you got to remember, Trump, his only tax record is low unemployment. Yeah. No, it's true. I, he, his record is 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 there, especially on the economy, assuming we don't have uh, too many more problems. We've got a couple ugly days here in the past couple of weeks, uh, kind of out of control of anybody. I want to get into that here in a couple of minutes. But going on Biden for a little for a little bit longer, because it does look like he's probably going to get the nomination. He's certainly the favorite at this point. Do you see this as I kind of see there's a there's a part of me that's a little optimistic than says, Hey, the Democratic voter, not the party, but the voter was presented with a choice of overt socialism versus normal, you know, left wing, crazy Democrat. And at least they didn't pick the socialism. The pessimistic part of me just says, well, they just didn't think Bernie was going to win. Is it a combination of those or do you you think one is, is more prominent than the other? Yeah, I think the party, look, I think they're a cycle or two behind Republicans, right? We kind of shook our fist at at John McCain. Uh, We kind of shook our fist at Mitt Romney. You know, we we, Ron Paul was winning the straw polls. Rand Paul won the Mm -hmm. straw poll at CPAC. You know, we wanted we wanted an outsider. Right. We tried with Steve Forbes. We tried with Ross Perot. We tried with Herman Cain. And then Donald Trump came along and the voters, the voters basically said, 
we've had enough of the establishment, right? It, we're, Jeb Bush, are you, are you kidding? This is the establishment strikes back for the Democrats, but can they do it after this? Like, is this the last grasp of power by the establishment? Bernie actually said something about that in his press conference. He said that maybe he wouldn't win, but the die is cast, right? Like, Biden is winning the over 60 vote. He's winning the under 40 vote. And he said, look, basically, you know, this party's the... I won the argument with the people who are going to decide this party's future. So you know, maybe Biden will get it. Um, I, 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 what I'm really afraid of, this is really what I'm afraid of. When they started talking about the 25th Amendment with Trump, it just sounded so ridiculous, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Biden clearly, it's something is, he's misfired, okay? Age is clearly having an effect on him. Um, my fear is that he's going to pick a real radical for a vice president. Now, maybe he won't. Maybe he'll pick a safe pick. Maybe he'll go with Gretchen Whitmer, the, the, the governor of Michigan. Uh, maybe, I, but I don't think he can do a, a Tim Kaine. I don't think he could pick a John Hickenlooper or a Steve Bullock. Mm -hmm. I think the left wants a Julian Castro or Stacey Abrams. And, you know, joking aside, Biden doesn't seem like he's mentally all there. Yeah. I mean, we can envision him getting inaugurated and a few months later, it's President Abrams. That is, uh, that's a terrifying thought. That is a terrifying well, thought. Well, how else is he, how, how else is he going to get the Bernie bros, right? The Bernie bros don't like him unless he picks a Bernie bro candidate for VP. How does he bring the Bernie bros in unless they think they can win without the Bernie bros? Yeah, I mean, there's been talk, too, about Kamala Harris or um, Amy Klobuchar. But you're right. That doesn't hit that wing at all. And you're going to take away what they believe is his big source of energy. I don't know if that energy is real or because they don't seem to be showing up enough for Bernie. But there is some energy there. They do need those voters. They can't have them going to the Green Party or something else. So I would not be surprised to see them address this. And I think you, you bring up a really good point here, Andrew, which is this VP pick is potentially the most important vice presidential pick in American history. We are going into this situation with a guy we all we all recognize it. Even people on the left recognize it. I, mean, I saw the Young Turks going off of this the other day. Like this guy very likely is going to have severe problems at some point during his presidency. And whoever's there as the backup quarterback uh, better be pretty good. Yeah. And here's another thing. Show me a Biden voter who's voting for Biden. Mm -hmm. Right. I, I, the Bernie bros, they believe in Bernie. Bernie has been consistent in his message. You can actually hate his message, but he has been there like this for as long as there's been Bernie Sanders. The only thing driving people to vote for Biden is because he's not Trump. Now, that brand name game doesn't work. It didn't work for McCain. It didn't work for uh, Hillary. It sure as heck didn't work for Jeb Bush, right? Mm -hmm. Why are you voting for Joe Biden? Who's out there like, you know, of all the people, Biden's the guy. He's got a rock solid platform. He's demonstrated leadership. I'm with Joe Biden. Or is it that he's just a brand that we all know and they hope the brand will drag them over the finish line and get rid of orange man bad? And here's what I've been telling my listeners to do uh, on radio when they're debating friends. Why are you voting for Biden? Don't bring up Trump. Go. Yeah. 
<laughs> and you just get endless silence. I can tell you why yeah. I voted for Trump. Yeah. Yeah, right. I can tell you why. Hey, look, if someone says, Andrew, why are you voting for Trump? I'm like, well, record low unemployment, low taxes, regulatory rollbacks, a guy who's trying to get the border secure, a, a guy who's trying to get the government further out of health care, a guy who's trying to send low-income students to, uh, to uh, charter schools with opportunity scholarships. I can tell you exactly why I voted for Trump. I can even tell you the first time. It was time for a businessman. We'd done the political hackery enough. We saw Mitt Romney. We needed to do the opposite of Jeb Bush and Mitt Romney, and we did with with Donald Trump. Yeah, I mean, it seems like the basic the basic argument for Joe Biden was he was in the room often enough with with Barack Obama when they did things that he likes, and that's that's not a good argument. Let me let me ask you one more thing here before we go to break. Um, you know, the Biden thing on paper, in some ways, you can understand, right? Like you could see, okay, he was part of a popular White House, at least for Democrats. Um, you know, he's been around for a long time. You can kind of understand it on paper. But one historical sort of uh, equivalence here that I've been thinking about a little bit lately uh, is the 2004 election. You've got a, a, a you've got George W. Bush. He's coming off his first term. He's in you know he's not incredibly popular, but he's he's doing okay. Um, and the Democrats have a chance to run either Howard Dean, this upstart sort of high energy guy who was leading in the polls for a while, or kind of the next guy up in John Kerry. They go with Kerry. He never gets their base excited. He never really makes a big impact. And, and Bush is able to win by a bigger margin than he did back in 2000. Is, are they making the same mistake again? Sure. What is the track record of candidates whose turn it was, mm. right? It was Bob Dole. But outside of H.W. Bush, because Ronald Reagan was just so wildly popular. Yeah. It was Bob Dole's turn, lost. It was uh, Al Gore's turn, lost. Mm. It was John McCain's turn after Bush beat him in the primary, lost. It became Mitt Romney's turn after McCain beat him in the primary, lost. Mm. Hillary's turn, twice, twice, lost. No voter votes for a candidate because it's their turn. Only the party bosses think that way. Oh, that's, that's, that's great perspective. All right, more with Andrew Wilkow coming up in just a second. Talking to Andrew Wilkow, host of Wilkow on Blaze TV and host of my wife's favorite radio show, The Wilkow Majority on Sirius XM, which is a bit of a problem considering I'm on a radio show myself. So it's a little issue in our relationship. Uh, Andrew, um, I want to, uh, first of all, Nancy Pelosi has moved behind you. I, I hope you're just, uh, I, I wouldn't move if I were you. You might, you might, she may be like one of those uh, dinosaurs you're that can only see what? movement. <laughs> just, just, just stay still. She did what? <laughs> uh, um, I don't know. Look, you're in a, you're in a weird place right now. You're down in DC. You've got a situation where I don't know. Uh, it seems like the East Coast is uh, is having the big coronavirus uh, breakout here first. You're all, you're in an apocalyptic sort of zombie land anyway. Anything can happen. What is it like being there? I mean, does it? You've had to travel right in the middle of this. Is it? Is everything empty? I rode the Amtrak last night. The Acela, actually. Mm. Um, it was, it was pretty dead. Uh, uh, Penn station, pretty dead times square. Times square looks like new year's day at 5. AM. Mm. It's just, it's, there's just nothing going on in times square. Um, good time. I guess if you, if you, you know, like me have to travel home in traffic, I got home in like half the time the other day. Yeah. That's just kind of nice. 
not really worth <laughs> worth it per se. Um, no, no. <laughs> but, yeah. I'm, I'm not wishing. I don't want to come across as ghoulish. Like I'm, I'm wishing people get a, a virus and, and die. But if we're being honest with ourselves, as President Trump pointed out, eight thousand people died from the regular flu. Oh yeah. So look. I, I don't want to make light of this, but I'm also not going to fall in line behind the media and, and lose my damn mind. And what we did on radio, and I'm sure you remember these clips, when there was the swine flu. Barack Obama was telling everyone to calm down, to not get crazy. We were prepared. This was going to eventually go away. So we're, I'm kind of treating coronavirus like that. Although I'm enjoying watching the media completely melt down like this is Donald Trump's fault. He's making stuff up and Death is around every corner. Yeah, no, that is really a frustrating part of this because, look, I think it, we do have a situation. I mean, they basically have closed the country of Italy down. This is obviously something that is serious at, at some level. We don't know how much it's going to affect us here. Um, it's starting to affect us, and it looks like it's going to ramp up. But they're trying to make this into a Donald Trump issue where it's just not right. It's not a Donald Trump issue. This is a this is a you know a, a terrible uh, act, you know act of uh, nature here um, that we're we're all trying to deal with, and it's having obviously serious economic outcomes. It's having problems with you know it's affecting a lot of different industries. But that's they their only focus is Donald Trump. They are obsessed with this one individual in our country, and they can't think of anything else. You know, what's amazing is, and look, I, I think we, we, we are honest people here. Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, deep blue state, far left guy, he came right out and said, look, uh, the president's doing a good job here. I had a conversation with the president and the vice president. I, I, they, they, they said everything they needed to say, and, and I'm, I'm satisfied with our interaction. Now, you're not going to see that morning, noon, and night on MSNBC or CNN, but clearly, you know, when you think of the CDC or you think of Department of Homeland Security, you think any of the agencies that are going to be involved in, in testing or distributing uh, vaccines should there should one become available. You know, it's not like when Donald Trump got inaugurated in 2017, the entire CDC was let go or quit their job, right? They didn't just empty out the National Institute of Health. And when they say, well, the president's trying to cut the budget. Yeah for wasteful spending and redundant programs. The president didn't say, well, I want to cut the budget of, of the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, so if there's a pandemic, they can't do anything about it. <laughs> it's the same people. That, that Anthony Fauci guy's been around since the Reagan years. And then you even have this embarrassing moment where some reporter's like, well, are you muzzling him? And the president's like, no, he's right here. You want to talk to him? It's the same people. Yeah. The same people. Yeah, and we should also note that he wasn't successful in cutting the budget. He, he proposed it, but it wasn't actually done, which is a whole other situation. Uh, and it wasn't even a cut, as you, as you point out. I mean, a lot of this time, it's it's just it's decreases. No, in the if increases. you want to cut, if you want to cut, if you want to cut the government's ability to study why lesbians get fat. I think we could live without that, right? I mean, we know that these federal agencies waste millions beyond their mission statements. Mm -hmm. if, if, if what we're talking about here is cutting back on their budget so they actually have to prioritize things like not studying gun violence, that's not the CDC's mission statement, getting involved in making sure that we're ready for a pandemic, that is their mission statement. So you don't need every bell and whistle in the budget so you can constantly renovate your offices. Yeah, I mean, and look, we're both pretty small government guys. When it comes to infectious disease, there is a role for government, I think. And it's, you know, it's something where I think so far the president has, has stepped up and the, and the administration has stepped up. 
and we all act as if this is the easiest thing in the world, where every country on earth is being hit with this. Many countries much worse than us. We have to see how this plays out. I do think it's important, however, for Trump in particular going into this to to not fall into the trap of of downplaying it too much because you want to calm people. But you don't want to you don't want to act as if you're blowing it off, because if this gets as bad as the worst case scenarios are, Obviously, that's one humongous problem in and of itself. But if if he's seen or even if he's just portrayed or uh, perceived as um, handling this in a way that is either shows incompetence or flippancy, it really could change the entire tone of the election. And some of that economic stuff that has been his strength all this time could go away. You've known me for years. I, I don't invoke religion on my program very often, but I was disgusted at the reaction the media had to Mike Pence, who's been tapped by the president to oversee our efforts at coronavirus. The, the White House released a picture of Mike Pence praying, mm-hmm. and this just, just made the media scoff as if, as if Mike Pence is the kind of guy that'd be like, well, I prayed on it, but we don't have to do anything else, <laughs> right? They were Christian shaming him for, for, praying, for, for praying to God to, to help the people, assist, you know, assist him in, in, in his efforts. But if you remember, it was Barack Obama who named a guy named Ron Klain to oversee the Ebola effort. Ron Klain's biggest claim to fame was prepping Obama for the debates. So, you know, when you look at a guy like Mike Pence, who's a very serious guy, personality and style-wise, he's kind of the opposite of Trump, although they complement each other very nicely. But he had been a governor. He had been a congressman. He knows how to coordinate people. He's an executive leader. Mike Pence is a great choice for this. But it's not just, well, Mike Pence is going to pray it away. But what did Ron Klain bring bring to the table for Ebola? Other than being a known government fixer, a Democrat lawyer and a hack, and the guy that helped Barack Obama prep for the debates. Why was the media so at ease and comfortable with Obama's efforts in in Ebola, but they're so horrified with Trump and Pence? Yeah, and and another example on the same front. I mean, I've heard very little about the Gavin Newsom comments that you mentioned where he was very effusive in his praise. I did see a hell of a lot of Chris Christie praising uh, Barack Obama when when the uh, when Hurricane Sandy was the big issue. They loved the bipartisanship then. Now I'm not seeing it all that much. Um, We have like one minute left here, Andrew. Um, I want to get to one of the policy responses to all of this from the president because I love it. Uh, The payroll tax. I I have, I've had a jihad against the payroll tax for a million years, having nothing to do with economic stimulus. I think it's just a terrible, it's one of the worst taxes we have. It's terrible policy. I can't stand it. I love the fact that they might be going after this here. You think there's any chance they can actually get it done? And, and if they do, any chance we can get it permanent? You know, I, I was going to add in the fact that he tried to secure the border and have the power to enact travel bans. What a crazy idea. Yeah. You just don't let people wander into the country and make other people sick. But no, I don't. I, I, think the de- I think the problem for the Democrats is you just brought up Chris Christie and Obama. I brought up Gavin Newsom. This is the moment where we want the government to be bipartisan. But I, I think they're so bent with Trump derangement syndrome, even if a payroll tax made sense at this moment, and they were for tax holidays. If you remember, Barack Obama wanted one in 2011. Mm -hmm. Even if it made sense, they still wouldn't do it because it would look like a victory for Trump. Jeez, uh, that's a sad state, especially in in what we're dealing with right now. Andrew Wilkow, the show is Wilkow, of course, on Blaze TV. You should watch it. One of the best uh, Wilkow majority as well on uh, Sirius XM. Thanks for coming on the program, Andrew. I appreciate it. No, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Back in a second. 
had a private conversation with him around 4.30 uh, West Coast time. Uh, and he said everything uh, that I could have hoped for. Uh, and we had a very long conversation. Uh, and every single thing he said, they followed through on. So I'm, I'm just not interested in, in finding daylight uh, on those statements because uh, every single thing, his administration, and it starts at the top, uh, including the vice president, uh, has been consistent with uh, the expectation that we repatriate these passengers and we do it in a way that does justice to the spirit that defines the best of our country and the state of California. I, that's a remarkable moment from Gavin Newsom. We just talked about it with Andrew Wilcott before. And there he is uh, discussing uh, how, what a great job basically the president has done. And they were trying to sort of draw him in to a, a, some sort of fight uh, to I mean, because this is the blame game for the media. This is what they want to do. They want to force people to go down that road. And Gavin Newsom not only doesn't take the bait, but actually is effusive in his praise of the entire administration, including the president and the vice president. Very rare you you, you uh, hear that. And I think not to freak anybody out, but when Gavin Newsom is talking like that, there's a reason for it. It's not because he wants Donald Trump to look good or Mike Pence to look good. It's because he sees uh, that this is a serious situation. I feel like there's a there's a tendency and a, a bit of a temptation for conservatives to see the way the media is unfairly treating the president over this and kind of put this issue into the little box of every other issue where we say, OK, well, they're they're unfair here and they're blowing this out of proportion. We can see what they're doing. They are doing that. They are trying to hurt the president and using this, you know, never let a crisis go to waste. That is in effect here. But that is secondary to the idea that this is a real thing. I've, I've said this a hundred times already, but you, know, you don't close down the entire country of Italy to get back at Donald Trump. You don't close down uh, massive parts of Japan and, and South Korea uh, and Singapore to get back at Donald Trump. Um, Europe is, uh, you know, is, a, is having massive, massive problems right now. And they're doing the same types of things. Travel bans are going all over the place. Israel is quarantining people for 14 days. Israel is not doing this to get back at Donald Trump. This is an issue. It's a real issue. And it's something that's going to really screw up our next couple of months at the very least. So hopefully that is all we have to deal with. And, and hopefully it gets uh, taken care of. And if the president and a Democratic governor can work together and, and do everything they can to make sure this goes away. This is one of those things that there's very few of them. Defense, law enforcement, courts infectious disease. There's only a few things I want the government doing. This is one of them. And we do uh, we do really hope that this uh, this continues uh, in a way that can, you know, if Gavin Newsom is right, this is not going to be that big of an issue. And I hope I hope we're able to, to stop it. Um, this is kind of an interesting moment from, by the way, Ireland, as they're talking about taking all sorts of uh, big steps to make sure that we don't pass the coronavirus to each other. You know, you got to wash your hands. You know, you should be shaking your hands. No tongue kissing strangers. That one really annoyed me. Uh, but here is uh, this is a, kind of an ironic moment uh, from Ireland. Vanaf dit moment stoppen we met handen schudden. Dus je kunt uh, uh, voet zoenen, u kunt elleboog stoten als u ook wilt. Uh, ik zie op school uh, allerlei prachtige varianten op het handen schudden staan. Everyone is shaking hands. Uh, we do that. Vandaag met handen schudden. Um, and, and then he walks out. Oh, sorry, mag niet meer. Sorry, sorry. Nee, nee, oh, oh, over, over, over. Ik wil er nog wel. Zo. And then he's putting his hand all over his shirt. He's like, look, it happens. I will say the whole touching your face thing, you just do it. It's just part of your life. You happen to go up there, you touch your face, you shake hands. It's weird to, to not do. Hopefully we can learn some lessons from this. 
because I at this point, I mean, it could get it could get ugly. And they keep keep saying this is the best way to stop it. We're in the middle of the beginning, though, of this. It's ramping up and we're going to have a next couple of months. Again, fifteen hundred points again, almost in the Dow down today. It's a scary time when it comes to the economy, when it comes to travel restrictions. Uh, it can be a, a scary, scary time, but not too scary for our AOC update. Hey, hey, what do you say? How is Alexandria a victim today? <laughs> oh, she's always a victim. She's in the squad and she's always a victim. You think, is she a victim of the coronavirus? Thank God, no. But other people are, as AOC so beautifully explains. Honestly, it sounds almost so silly to say, but Mm -hmm. there's a lot of restaurants that are feeling the pain of racism, Mm. uh, where people are literally not patroning Chinese restaurants. Um, They're not patroning Asian restaurants because of just straight up racism around the coronavirus. They're like totally not patroning restaurants because of racism. And they're victims of racism because, I mean, first of all, I happen to know one person who is not going to Chinese restaurants because of because of this, but only one. Uh, And it's certainly not because of racism. It's more of a just a strange germaphobic thing that does not make any sense. Look, this is the thing. You can be uh, ill informed about whether Chinese food will give you uh, the Wuhan virus without being racist. In fact, you can also call it the Wuhan virus without being racist. The point is uh, not to assign guilt to for this virus to the Chinese people. No one is doing that. There's no one on earth doing that. The Chinese government has had some issues in the way they've handled it uh, and it's caused it to spread. And that's the government that has implemented the system AOC is trying to put in. So uh, I don't think I'm going to be patroning anywhere in China anytime soon, but I will absolutely proudly eat Chinese food because number one, it's good. And number two, I'm overweight. I just, I'm, I'm fascinated by the patroning thing. I, she's going for patronizing. Is that what she's doing? She's going for, they're not patronizing these restaurants. Patroning, that's not a word, is it? Am I, like, I, I'm not like, that's not a word, right? Okay, just wanna make sure I understand. I wanna make sure that I patronize all Chinese restaurants. I'm not gonna patron them though. I will say though, I, I do thank you for patroning this show. I can't stop. I'm I'm obsessed with patroning from Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. Patroning a restaurant. Now I, I don't. I I'm obsessed with finding. I don't think it's a word, is it? I went in and I I think she means patronize, right? She's patronizing a place. Um, If they're they're too racist, so they're not patronizing. Like patronizing can mean. To treat in a way that is apparently kind or helpful, but betrays a feeling of superiority. It's not that definition. It's definition two, which is to frequent an establishment, to patronize an establishment. That's what she's going for there, right? Because patroning is not a word. Although when you when you look it up, it comes up under Wiktionary. And it says uh, the uh, definition is a word made up by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I didn't do this. Somebody else did that. That's not me. I promise. Um, Quickly, before we go, because this is what happens with AOC. She, a lot of times, will try to do something really dramatic, and then it winds up burning her. This happened at a feminist rally as well. Watch this. This is amazing footage. Someone comes in and is going to throw a firebomb, and throws it into their own crowd by mistake instead of the police. And then this poor woman 
is set on fire. I mean, if that's not every AOC Instagram feed live, I don't know what is. We will uh, see you tomorrow.